Athletic Former Players Association podcast is sponsored by Starna Apparel. Affordable and stylish clothing born on the terraces. Visit their website, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to Walking Down the Holbeath Road, the podcast brought to you by the Dunfermline Athletic Former Players Association. In this special episode, we look into Eagle Glen. You may ask, what is or was Eagle Glen? Exactly. In the 1980s, it was hailed as Scottish football's first dedicated club training facility, before the likes of Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Hibs or Aberdeen, and was used by then-manager Jim Leishman as a selling point to lure players to the club, such as David Irons, George O'Boyle and Isfan Cosma. With the club now working towards an exciting new dedicated training ground and youth academy located in Resyth, we look back and speak to the people who were involved at Eagle Glen and hear their insight into the facility and what happened with it. So sit back, grab a bovril and enjoy this one as we go back to the training ground. So, where was Eagle Glen? Eagle Glen was located in the local village Kingseat on the main road B912. Kingseat is a village in Fife which is approximately 1.5 miles northeast of Dunfermline. It was originally a coal mining village with the first pit sunk in the area in the 1800s. The name of the village is thought locally to have originated from when the king would visit and look onto the River Forth and over to Arthur's Seat. From the research we have carried out, it was officially opened as a golf driving range on the 13th of July 1984 and then just three years later in 1987, the football club acquired the land through then chairman and local builder Mel Rennie along with other board members and local businessmen. One of those involved was local solicitor and future board member Blair Morgan. We spoke to Blair about his memories of the deal and what the club's vision was for the facility. My memories of Eagle Glen are that I had started to try and learn to play golf and um, Eagle Glen had opened as a, as a driving range and I went up there and had lessons from a guy called Eric Brown who played in the Ryder Cup, he was a really interesting bloke and um, I thought Eagle Glen was fantastic, the ground it had, the facilities, the whole thing but they were struggling, they weren't, they weren't making it financially uh, secure and uh, I knew that it would come on the market. At the same time, I joined the board at Dunfermline and I know they were looking for a training ground because the, the, the players were having to travel to different places and it was, it was very messy. And so they, they, they were very keen to have a training ground and I just thought, this is a perfect marriage. 
and it did it prove to be that. So we decided that we would go ahead and uh, try and acquire it, and, and we did. The situation was slightly different in that the club couldn't afford to buy it or do it up, but we formed a new company, a development company that would do it, and we got tax breaks, and the new company, which was owned by five directors, and um, we then did the work, and we had it turned into a really, really good training centre. It, it worked. It worked so well. It, it, it was certainly, I think there was, must have been a facility through in the west of Scotland and we had, the driving range was on two levels, the ground level and the upper level and I think our view was it would turn that into some kind of accommodation, uh, you know, bedrooms um, for, for young footballers coming through from all over the place, open it up and bring folk in from Europe. That didn't happen, the cost just was too much and we decided to, the most important thing was to deal with the park, the ground and we brought the ground specialists in to do that and then we made sure there was all the changing facilities that was there and the showers that was all there from there. so that was very easy to do and get the team based up there and the players loved it they, they just loved going there it was a nice car park a nice facility and we got that going and we were going to look at expanding later which didn't happen but um, but it was turned into a training facility very easily the year is 1987. The town has a buzz about it and Scotland's premier night scene, Night Magic, has just announced Big Country will headline the venue in December. Their first hometown gig since 1982. But more importantly, the Fermanagh Athletic Football Club are back in the big time. They're back in the Premier League. The board of directors, alongside manager Jim Leishman, have exciting plans for the future to put the football club back on the map. We refer to this Dunfermline press cutting from the 7th of August 1987, which talks about the Eagle Glen project. With the acquisition of Eagle Glen Golf Driving Range in Kingseat, Powers players more than most in the country will have the chance to develop national and world-class talents and make the club's name once again feared in European football. Club general manager Jack Kyle said, you will have to go to clubs like Barcelona to find anything like what will compare to the training facilities we are going to create there. Three new pitches will be planned as part of the huge investment on the grounds, including changing facilities, gym, relaxation areas for the players, a canteen, accommodation and much more. Chairman Mel Rennie followed up with, A spirit of enthusiasm has been sweeping the club for the past three years, and now the morale of the team is excellent, Alongside the new sign-ins, and once we get Eagle Glen operational, it will make a tremendous difference. And he was right. The club start their return to the Premier League in style. But let's go to Dunfermline, having their biggest day for almost 20 years. A capacity 18,000 crowd you could hear from one end of the Kingdom of the Fife to the other. Two unbeaten sides, Dunfermline and Celtic. At the end, only one could claim that distinction, and it wasn't Celtic. You won't see many better Premier League games than this. Jenkins heading it across. The opening goal! Craig Robertson for Dunfermline. Sheer joy around the stadium for the Dunfermline fans. In the first minute of the match, Craig Robertson signed in the cross-season right Rovers. Puts the Fifers ahead. Ball is in trouble! Ferguson 2-1 to Dunfermline 
It's a great romantic football story. Second division, first division, now Premier League and beating league leaders. What have you brought to Dunfermline? It doesn't happen by magic. I can remember going to see the, the great Dunfermline teams of the the, the 60s, Jock Steen, um, George Farm, Willie Cunningham's um, days, winning uh, in Europe and winning in, in the Scottish Cup days. I think I've brought a bit of pride in the jersey back. I'm one of the old type managers where the jersey is the most important thing to me, and especially when it's a Dunfermline jersey. Complementing the progress on the pitch, by now the club are looking to move into Eagle Glen and it's announced as their official training base in 1988. David Irons, who signed for the club in March 1988 for a then club record fee of £85,000, recalls his time spent at the training ground. And he took me up to what used to be a golf driving range. It was the pitch, well, it wasn't even a football pitch. I think they just put a couple of goals up. It was just a long grass, up and down, just an old field, basically. So this is going to be one of the best training facilities in Europe. Try to envisage this training facility that never really happened. You know, what it did have, it was a base that the players we were away from East End Park, so we're away up. I don't know, I think Dunfermline's grown to such an extent, it's probably a housing estate now, but at that time it was it seemed quite remote. It was outside the town and it was it was like we could just relax up there and there was the changing rooms with a pool table, you know, we had just an area where we could sit and eat eat a lunch, albeit we had a couple of old boys used to come up and make us rolls and stuff. But it was just a place that we we just bonded. To be honest, that was probably one of the best things Leash did at that time was get us up there and we bonded like I've never experienced before. And the characters that were Big Norrie, John Watson, Ray Farmingham, Raymond Sharp, Big Westy, you know, the list I could go on and on, Bobby Smith. Yeah, it was just incredible. And we, we would just all sit in these, either the changing room or the kind of pool room. And we just we just got on so well as a group. And that definitely had such a bearing on, ultimately, the success that we had with Leash. On the 4th of May 1988, the club won the BP Scottish Youth Cup for the first and only time in their history. Beating a strong Dundee side, one of the players who made the progression from the cup-winning youth team to the first team was Martin Feeney. The, The facility itself was just up off the road, um, we used to drive along a path and then and then the dressing rooms would, would be situated up on your right-hand side. We used to walk in and you would see big white uh, Granada that the gaffer had, like, uh, Leash had, and then Ian Monroe would have a red orion. Uh, we'd always be sitting to the side just uh, around the corner for the car park. We would walk in and, and the gaffer's office would be, uh, be there as well. He had... Uh, a wee office there and then you would walk through another door through the foyer and a dressing room to your right hand side just along the corridor the the, the YTS kids at that time that was what it was called at the times would get changed and there'd be some carry on in there for some of the young guns as well you know like say yeah uh, Jackie McNamara's at the time uh, it was was in there as well and he was a lot quieter than then you know you never saw what was going to be what was a fantastic career for for Jackie just across from that was another room uh, where we used to try and have uh, our kit our training kit and stuff like that 
and uh, Joe Nelson was in charge of that, God bless him. Uh, what an absolute guy, absolute gentleman. He used to get you into trouble if your training kit uh, wasn't there or if you used to come annoying. And every day he knew he would get annoyed, but every day he would always help you out. And then just along for that, Pip's room as well, Philip Yates was there for a treatment room and stuff like that as well. If any of the, any of the guys were uh, carrying injuries or requiring straps, Pip would be there as well. And Joe would also uh, facilitate that as well. Joe would also help out with these sort of things. And then we had the drying room and where we used to put some of the markers, bibs, balls, they, that was all there as well. And then further along the corridor, I'm sure, on the right-hand side was what was the first team squad, you know, and I was very fortunate to be in that dressing room. Um, some of the characters in that dressing room was just uh, just amazing. When I when I think back of these times and when you first contacted us, I, I was completely blown away that you would you would contact me because the, the guys were were brilliant in that dressing room and it has probably helped create the person that I am today. Ego Glenn then had was it was a dressing room mentality that would carry on throughout training. The the team spirit that created would be throughout training and then obviously and more successful times for the club at that point as well. And I think that was what the success was built on, was that team spirit. You know, undoubtedly some fa fantastic players. You know, I was very lucky to watch and train alongside these players. But, um, yeah, I very much so. It was just, it was that ethos of we will stick together. And, you know, if, if you go, then I, I'll be right behind you sort of thing. You know, there was definitely guys there that would back you up to the hill guys there that would support you and guys there that would give you a weird, you know, a rollicking if you needed it, which everybody does. And there's guys there that accepted it and there's other ones that, that didn't accept it, you know, and, and they would have a wee bite back. But that created that winning mentality that was certainly at, at the club at the time. You know, when you walked in and then you would have, I've, I've, I still remember very, very blatantly, there was a bath in this changing room and then there was some showers and stuff like that. And I remember John Holt giving out to Trevor Smith one of the times for actually having a shave in the bath. And uh, John went through Trevor like a ton of bricks, you know. And I know Holt, if he, if he, from my time at Dundee United, and he was one of the hardest players I've, I've ever met in my life, you know. Quiet man, but oh my God, what a player. Just done so much work that probably didn't get appreciated enough, you know, absolutely, just a stalwart, absolute stalwart, so he was, and, but I, Trevor, being Trevor, and his kind of younger ways, and, and, and more laxicidical, and sort of student life, I think, Trevor, maybe, but yeah, I hear the shave in the bath, and Holtie went right through him, you know, and had a team meeting about this, that that will never happen again, and so there was standard set, and there was, you know, there are good times, but there was definitely standard set within the dressing room, uh, and that, and as I say, that that carried on. It carried on even in you know when we had our tracksuits. When we had to wear our tracksuits, were blazer and flannels and ties, club ties. All that was set out in presence, and and you had to be presentable when you when you turned up in the, in the days and stuff like that as well. Some of the best days of my life were, were was through there. Some of the the journeys through from coming through from South Lanarkshire sort of area when snow used to come through for Glasgow and pick us up was these these journeys and the laughs that we had was just amazing and that carried on as we used to drive up the road and turn into Eagle Glen and what was going to be you know there was going to be 
Uh, obviously, the, there's changing facilities. There was going to be football parks. There was going to be accommodation that you touched on as well. But this was all, don't forget, this was all very much so prior to like Celtic having their training place now. They still train, trained at Barrafield at that time. Rangers were, you know, under Sunnis and stuff like that, were still changing in at Ibrooks, you know. So this was a very, very advanced for its time, you know, that the Dunfermline were the front runners that was going to be putting this training facility t- together and it was going to be all incumbent of accommodation, changing areas and then o- obviously the, 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 the pitches to go and train on and it, and it was well in, well in advance of anything that I knew at the time, you know, other clubs did have to train, uh, sorry, change at the stadiums and then move away. But what we did, you know, when we were all there in training and then we would go through into the sort of lounge area as well and, and it was a breakout sort of room um, where you would have the pool table but you would also be served your, your salad uh, salad rolls, um, if they could be called that. Uh, some ate them, some didn't. Uh, but I there was just, sorry, I'm laughing here, but I, it was all just great, great times. What I learned in, from, from the ages of sort of 18 up until and in 22, 23, um, I've managed to carry that carry that on throughout uh, my, my life and it's very much a, a team spirit. I still, you know, smile anytime I, I, I meet any of the, 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 the former players uh, like myself. I still keep in contact with Mark Smith. I'll bump into Snowy maybe very occasionally in, in Glasgow and stuff like that as well, you know. So all these sort of people have had an influence and probably they probably all underestimated their influence on younger guys like herself and it'd be great if they got an opportunity to hear um, what they instilled in likes of myself and, and, and other players, you know, the, the Sinky, uh, David Sinclair went on to be very successful at Wraith Rovers and stuff like that as well and I'm sure he'll say that his time at Dunfermline was good, he was all part of the youth team that we, we were very fortunate enough to go and go and win that the, the youth cup at our time at Dunfermline, and that wasn't you know that's not to be underestimated as well. You know when we were playing against top top clubs in Scotland at that time who had a, a, a wider search range, shall shall we say that than Dunfermline at the time to to try and get younger players into their into their team. So um, that was that was a fantastic achievement for the club as well, and one that I hold dear to my heart still. You know, uh, great times. Anytime I'm through in Dunfermline and, and I drive up that road and uh, and I think and I look over and, and, and see, I still see all the cars parked outside, I still see the minibuses, you know, and, and I still see that training facility and, and it was some of the best times of my life. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Walking Down the Holbeath Road. We would also like to thank our sponsors at Inverkeething Hillfield Swifts 2017s. The Swifts are an SFA quality marked community group and have competitive teams for every age group from mini kickers through to amateur level football. So if you're interested in youth football, why not check out their website www.swiftsfc.com. Goalkeeper John Hillcote joined the club in July 1989 and spent many hours training at Eagle Glen. Here are some of his memories. When I signed, I signed there in 1989 and I can remember meeting Ian Monroe in Glasgow and I was in talks to, to sign for St Mirren and it was actually used as a tool because Dunfermline was the only time or it was the only club in Scotland that had their own training ground. 
and that was obviously Eagle Glen. So I was intrigued to see it, and I can remember the first time when I went there. Uh, it was the first day of pre-season in July 1989, and Phil Bonneman, who was a coach at the time, picked me up in Glasgow and drove me to Eagle Glen. And I have to say, I was pretty impressed with it. It was pretty. It was probably uh, right before its time because at that time, when you walked in the door, there was two dressing rooms. There was a a first team dressing room, if if you like, and there was a dressing room where the where the kids or the YTS boys and apprentices uh, got changed. But when you walked in, if I remember right, there was a fitness suite, and the fitness suite was on the left hand side. And it had everything you needed. It had the free weights, it had the bike and all the kind of Smith machines and stuff that you needed at that time. There was also a, a physio room where Pip Yates would base himself two or three times a week and he would split his time between being there in the East End Park. And there was a manager's office and there was also a kitchen as well where a wee guy called Joke the Rollman was actually a big German Leishman's pal. And he used to make he used to make like salad rolls up for other players. The theory was that we were meant to pay for it. We were meant to pay the rolls a pound a roll or whatever it was. And then at the end of every week, we used to well we were meant to pay for them. But as you can imagine, nobody paid for them. So we joked, old man was always raging. His rolls were bogging. I'm not gonna lie, right? They were all soggy and right. But at the end of the day, it was something to eat. So I suppose you could say that we had our own post-match or post-training food which was to gammon rolls, but it done us at the time. The dressing rooms, the first team dressing room was was kind of shaped as a as a square, if you like, with the chairs or the or the the benches round about it where you could hang your gear up. And I can remember one time, every Friday, I used to kind of wear my best clobber to go home because I, I used to stay there on digs, as you know. And then on a Friday, after training, I would then make my way back to Paisley, back to Linwood. But I always used to like to put my old, like my good gear on. I remember having this brilliant top that I got for, for Reese in Glasgow and I went to training because the goalies, we were always last in for training. Me, Westy and Big Roger were always last in and I came in and all the first team boys were away. But in place of my brilliant Reese top, there was this old holy, woolly, old jumper and nobody would own up. So somebody's basically nicked my top and then hung this one up and... Anyway, I had to wear it up the road. My mum thought that I was sleeping in the streets for a week. I then went to Archaos in Glasgow on the Saturday night and I met Ian McCall and Collie come up to me and he's wearing my top. And I says, that's my, my top, Collie. And he just went, I know, and just laughed. Never seen it again, as you can imagine. Anyway, Eagle Glen. So that was it. It was a, it was a really, really good training ground for us to get based at. And then every morning, all Willie Rowland, he'd have the van and we would all bail into the van and we would go to Petrivi to train there because there was a, a patch of grass just outside where the dressing rooms and stuff like that were, but they never got around to actually upgrading it. So we just used Petrivi to do that, and it was all right. It was a bit of a trek going to Petrivi every day, but at the end of the day, it was still good and it kept everybody together. In the dressing room, we used to have, because of the, the shape of the dressing room, we used to have three-minute boxing bouts on a Thursday after training, and we would get the, get the boxing gloves on. And there was a young boy called Dean Black, who was a an ex-amateur boxer. And everybody used to try and beat him. And I swear to God, you were bollocks after the three minutes. And he was the champion. This young boy used to batter hell out everybody. Big Nori and all that. So that was the that was the shape of the, of the dressing room. And, and just off the, the, the first team dressing room, there was just a shower area where everybody used to go in and get showered. 
but in the away dressing room or the young boys dressing room there was a big bath like the old time kind of bath that used to have and if you fancied a bath it was full of pish then you went in there so it was all right all the young boys were quite passionate about their senior players who they had to look after because there was no any there wasn't any any washing facilities for the training gear so the gear had to then get ferried back down east end park and then back up again in the morning but the but the young boys would steal all the good gear for the players anyway this man's first first training session he had a black sock a black umbro sock and a red umbro sock on and an old holy t-shirt away down to Petrivi to train where everybody's all wrapped up in the in the top jumpers and the tracky bottoms and all that it was a really really good atmosphere and it probably added because if you think about it the time in 1989 we were flying high and at one point we were top of the league and I think the camaraderie or the camaraderie within that was that was kind of bred within Eagle Glen added to that because we never really had to go to East End Park no less we had to go and see Sheila and all the punters about were wages or whatever we had to do so we drove to Eagle Glen in the morning did our training and then as I say the weights and stuff like that were there for us to uh, if you wanted to do an afternoon session and then you could go up the road through there but it really did have everything it was it was as I say at the at the start of this it was a selling point for players to come because we were only the club in Scotland that had of their own training ground. Club legend Ian Westwater signed from Hearts in 1985 and played a major role in the club's success story under Jim Leishman. Westy tells us his memories of Eagle Glen, the good and the bad. Uh, obviously it was an old uh, golf driving range, so the facilities actually were very good. But I think the purpose of it was to, to use it as a training camp, but uh, obviously that never ever got off the ground. The one and only time we ever used the the grass, which was obviously the actual driving range itself, um, me and the goalies went out there one one afternoon and we went about six inches deep into the, the quagmire, which was the, uh, the grass. So that was the one and only time we ever used it. Facilities were great, and we were told that it was going to be, you know, state of the art. But um, what we did, we just used it as a changing facility, and then went down to Petrivi. A couple of memories of it: there was the two jocks that were there. Uh, one was a driver, and one kind of looked after the, uh, helped with the kit and things like that. So one pre-season, um, we came back from a really hard session down at Petrivi. And we walked in and one of the jocks had uh, made up all the Gatorade for us in the big orange containers. So we all took that as soon as we got in and uh, everybody immediately had projectile vomit. Um, only, be to, only to be told that uh, Jock had cleaned out the uh, orange Gatorade container with bleach and he'd forgotten to rinse it. So that was one, one wee story. Another story was... Uh, I don't know where Jock was winding us up at this point or not, but uh, there was another story where they made up rolls for us and we could buy them. And uh, Trevor Smith at the time was looking for a, a knife and uh, Jock was behind the counter making up some sandwiches. And he says, oh, sorry, Trevor, this is the only knife I've got. And proceeded to wipe it underneath his uh, oxter and handed it over to Trevor. <laughs> Needless to say, Trevor didn't use it. Um, and that was about it. I think the, you know... I left in 91, so uh, we were still using it at that time, I think, if I remember right. But aye, so um, that was my memories of uh, the grand plans for Eagle Glen. The only other thing, sorry, the only other thing I was also going to say about it was it hasn't got very good memories for me, 
because I bought my very first brand new car from the auto centre ne- next door to the park. And I was proud as punches, and this this thing had a, a spoiler on the back. And I don't know where you know the, the road from uh, Holbeath up to King's Seat. And uh, there's a level crossing before you get to it. Well, there's snow on the ground and uh, we were all stopped at the level crossing. So all of us had to get out and push each other's cars to make sure we got up the hill. But um, uh, Ian Monroe got out to help me and proceeded to uh, push uh, my car up the hill by the spoiler and break the spoiler off the back of the car. So that didn't uh, spell too much good fortune for my time with Ian Monroe. And obviously Ian Monroe uh, dropped me and brought in Rosie. So uh, maybe that was a, a sign of things to come. So what happened to Eagle Glen and why did it not become the training facility it was promised to be? Next, we make our way to the location of Eagle Glen alongside club legend and then first team manager Jim Leishman. Driving into King's Seat at the moment, so Eagle Glen would be just on the left here. Just on the left, which is now obviously housing. Uh-huh. Um, Player Drive is the main main street here. So we take a wee left. It's turning here, and there's just fields. Fields on the left, and a field on the right. We would go up to the left, make it up that side. Right, Eagle Glen. So I didn't know if you. Can I get any little bit? Oh, this was just. That's about a beer, Jim. Uh-huh. There's a little grassy part. Right. We'll park the car and then we'll take a wee walk along here. So, this bit is the only grass area which still remains. Obviously, there's housing now on the rest of the land, but. Right, this must have been. The pavilion was on the left, and you come out. You come in the main door, which was the door that the, the, the golf range was. You come out of your mouth, is right in front of you. Yeah. To the left was. Kit room. Or Joe Nelson at the time. Would have Joe been the Nelson. Kit man. Sorry. When you went forward to the right, no, on the left, when you were going forward, mm-hmm. was the treatment table, treatment right. room. You went on and uh, there was a sort of lounge sitting here where the snooker table was. So tell us a little bit right at the start when the club announced that uh-huh. they were going to buy this bit of land and what, what their vision was. What, what do you remember of that? When they said they were going to do that, I said, wow. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's quite forward way. thinking at the time, eh? Oh, forward thinking, guaranteed. Uh, your own, your own training ground and uh, practice areas for the kids. It was, it was great. But I, could, I was getting away for the football. You know, if you're at this some place, you go every day. You get, you know, you get familiar to that and this and that. And my thoughts was right. We'll get them to Eagle Glen. We'll train and everything up there. And then on Saturday when you come to play. It was, you got the buzz, the it excitement was fresh. The, the, to the arena, eh? Yeah. And, and, you know, it was exciting going in the doors then, Mickey. Eh? That was mine. But the, the parts weren't there, right. Eh, 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 I think that once, we had one park to start. Mm-hmm. And we tried it, but it was too, too boggy. The Red Blay area was fine. Eh, so we used that if it was really wet or icy or what, we'd go in there. Mm-hmm. But, eh, no, we couldn't really play games. You know, you had plenty of grass areas to do a wee bit of running, etc, etc. We could do that before just having running days. So, going by the research, we moved here in 1988 and left about 91. Ah, uh, three years. I thought it was about three years. Uh, you know, see the team bond. Like, uh, that's, uh, that's one of the most important things in football management. Well, what I was going to mention, we've spoken to a few players uh, as part of this podcast, and, and a lot of them have said when they were signing for the club, you would 
bring right. them up here right. and kind of try and show them what, like, what was here and what the club were wanting to do and they were all quite excited about it. I remember initially, Mikey, when... when you know, I'm trying to think, 88 was our first season. Mm-hmm. When we bring them up here to yeah. show them what we are doing, what we're trying to do, this is all well. Right? Yeah. This is this is terrific. What an ambition. Yeah. I'm coming somewhere that they're, they're not just happy, but want to get better. Yeah. And we did. Yeah, we, we did. did. Top top of the Premier League. I can't even, can you believe that? Yeah. Incredible, eh? And top, but I top. It was at Motherwell. I can remember it. Davy Iron speaks <laughs> in his podcast about you having a party here. Aye. The next Up day in training. Party. Another couple of questions I wanted to ask Jim. What? Aye. First of all, what? How does it feel being back on this kind of land now? Because it's been a long time since you would, you'd have been ever up, oh. up here again. I've never been up here since I left. Mikey. And when I come back, it was all shut down. Uh, so that, that the last time when I walked, the, the last time I was here, <laughs> when the minibus going up and doing the training, right, doing the retrieval, and Big Watson, always, he know Watson, McCarthy used to say, Marty, I'll see you at the door. If we fell out of that, we, ah, no, you're not getting that. I'll see you at the door. No, I'm not kidding you. I came up to see Chiru and me. I, I was quite emotional, but I, I thanked him all for their efforts and I said, look, no regrets, I've had a great time, guys. Good luck to you all. Mm-hmm. And then I come out the, the up manager door and the bus, the minibus was leaving and John Watson and Nora McCarthy's big airs up against the wind. <laughs> and McCarthy's doing the same, a, a big Mooney, and he's shouting, I told you, at least when I told you. Another question I was going to ask Jim is, what if Eagle Glen... If it had been kept and if the club mm-hmm. had invested, what could have come of Eagle Glen? Oh. Obviously, there's the excitement now with the new training ground, the yeah. youth academy, which is fantastic. And but we owned this, Mike. If we had kept this, Mike, and developed it, it'd been one of the top, uh, the top training facilities in in the UK. The club used Eagle Glen as a base from 1988 to 1991. And after the publicity from the football club that the facility would rival the likes of Barcelona in terms of training grounds, it simply never happened. We ask why. The main reason, finances. On the 3rd of September 1992, Tullock Homes submitted plans to build homes on the site for a then value £2.5 million. However, there was very little movement until 1997 when the land was eventually sold to the Highland Housing Firm for a fee of around £5 million. We refer to this Herald news cutting from June 1997. A Highland builder is getting the kick out of life in Fife thanks to unusual business alliance between Inverness-based house builder Tullock Holmes and Dunfermline Athletic Football Club. A £5 million investment will create 74 new homes on the par's former training ground Eagle Glen in the village of Kingseat. David Sutherland from Tullock Holmes says we've acquired Eagle Glen from the football club for its panoramic views and proximity to the town. The facilities around the area such as the Holbeath shopping complex should make the development a real winner. In reality, Eagle Glen required major investment which the club didn't have. It was financially more viable to sell the land and reinvest the money into the football club, which they did. From speaking to the people who were involved in the deal, the money from selling the land allowed the board to upgrade the floodlighting, replace the cladding on the main stand, and also build the two new stands at East End Park, one of which would be later named the Norrie McCarthy stand. The concept of Eagle Glen was just another example of how the football club were operating under Jim Leishman in the late 1980s, 
It was forward thinking and ahead of its time. The board has serious ambition to take Dunfermline back to the big time. Eagle Glen may not have worked out as planned, but for the years it was in operation, it provided a base that created a bond and togetherness with players and staff which took the club to the top of the Premier League for the first time in November 1989. Sadly, we will never know what Eagle Glen may have produced. However, Pars fans can look forward with hope and optimism with the launch of the new training ground and youth academy. We hope you've enjoyed this special episode of Walking Down the Hallbeef Road. We'll be back with another former player hearing about their time at the club. Thank you.